Marco! Polo! Marco! Polo! Okay, I just had to do it. Had to get out of the way. That was originally going to be the title of this episode. Yeah, try not to give the episode episode title as the same as the serial title I'll be talking about. You know, try to figure something else out. Although some of the stories are going to be difficult to figure out in a fresh, interesting-sounding title. Um, I might have to fudge a little bit and just make up something that sounds dumb. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, this was going to be Marco exclamation point, Polo exclamation point, which would technically be a kind of a different title, but I came up with uh, something else, which you'll see at the um, as as the uh, title of the show. And um, anyway, you're listening to Somewhere in the Hooniverse. I am Shambles Constant. Thank you so much for joining me. And. Um, before we get into the first two episodes of Marco Polo, which is how much I've watched so far on this rewatch, um, I need to give you a little bit of background on the whole concept of the missing episodes. Now, the BBC back in the 60s, um, you know, it was before digital and, uh, there, there wasn't a lot of shelf space or a lot of resources and they'd find they'd have to tape over things <laughs> and, which just sounds silly now but you know it was a very real very real concern at that time and you know in the interest of conserving resources and uh, all this kind of stuff they used to junk a lot of their shows after they were broadcast um, I guess some of the issue was also, as I was reading, reading up on this to uh, kind of refresh my memory on the situation, um, was that they, uh, they they had issues with like the rights to rebroadcast some some of these things. So I don't know if Doctor Who was specifically one of those shows, but there were a lot of their other shows like Steptoe and Son and was I think Dad's Army and stuff like that that um, that they purged a lot of their shows you know and, and I mean you could look back at it and say oh this was very short-sighted and in a way it was but another way I mean they they couldn't have known that uh, eventually all these shows would would be of such historical interest and you know you do what you can at the time and whatever so I mean but I sympathize with uh, fans that are upset about it I'm just like what can you do <laughs> you know but uh, the ones the old episodes that they junked Doctor Who is kind of in a unique position um, for one thing there were fans at the time who did audio recordings of all the broadcasts when uh, they first uh, came on, thank God. And um, also fans would uh, take what was called telesnaps. They'd, they'd, take, they'd literally take a photograph 
of the screen itself. Um, there were also promo images um, that the BBC did that they kept, um, you know, various other things like that. Um, and uh, as a result, I mean, the audio is huge on on being able to preserve at least the way that dialogue was said and the the soundtrack music of different stories and uh, just um, the special effects sounds and stuff like that, um, like the the uh, singing sands, which we'll get into here for Marco Polo. Oh, all right. <laughs> There are outdoor noises noises going on. We're gonna preserve those as well. I'll walk quickly here. So but it's it's weird though, because it seems like the BBC kind of did it at random. Um that they uh would scrap, oh, grab that tape and we'll use that for something else instead. <laughs> Top of the pops or whatever. <laughs> um, and like in one case, the story, um, The Highlanders, which is an early Patrick Troughton story, four-parter, um, apparently it was erased only like two months after the broadcast. So like a very short time. But... Um, as some of these shows, you know, Doctor Who got more popular at the time and was shown overseas, um, there have been some film cans found as a result of that in other countries. I think it went, like Malaysia and stuff like that. And uh, so, you know, and uh, dedicated fans in the late 70s stopped the BBC from doing this. Um, Ian Levine being one of them, um, you know, a major contributor on that, and he's never let anyone forget it since. And uh, so, you know, efforts of, of fans, a lot of these episodes have been returned to the BBC archives over the last 40 or so years that we didn't have. Like, uh, a notable find, I think in the early 90s, was uh, the Tomb of the Cybermen, um, which was thought of to be a, a huge classic. And uh, now it's, I still, it's still one of my favorite Troughton stories, but uh, there are some problematic aspects to it, which we'll get to eventually. Um, it is a great story. I, I, anyway, so, um, so there is a way of experiencing every single Doctor Who story, um, in the show's history. It's not always by, you know, means of being able to watch the whole, um, the whole episode as it was originally broadcast. And it's kind of amazing that the first 13 episodes um, of Doctor Who uh, have been preserved. And those are the ones that I've just reviewed in the first three episodes of this show. Um, but uh, 
Marco Polo is one of the first huge losses because for a lot of Doctor Who serials, you know, you might find that two episodes still exist, three episodes, are, you know, some of them only one episode is missing, you know, in its full intact form. Marco Polo, all seven episodes are missing from, you know, the, uh, the full video broadcast version. And uh, what we have are basically these uh, telesnaps, um, the audio off-air recordings, which are pretty good. They're they're good. They're pretty good quality. They're not perfect, but you know they're as optimum quality as could be done in 1964. And uh, so ways that we can experience these episodes now. Um, the audio soundtracks for a lot of them have been released by the BBC um, on CDs for you know high sums of money in some cases. <laughs> I don't even know if those are still made now actually. But uh, there have been there's been narration added to, to them um, by actors who were in the show. Um, Various people who played companions have added narration to those, um, and those were out like in the those were being released like in the '90s. I remember. Um, there's also there was a company called Loose Cannon that did reconstructions of all the missing Doctor Who episodes uh, at that time, and they did an amazing job. They were a very creative organization. And what you would do is they would make these reconstructions and since it was before YouTube, they couldn't distribute them online. So, and also there were, you know, issues with the rights. So they were able to um, have the, they had their website and you could order um, VHS copies. And basically they couldn't profit off of them, you know, monetarily. Like you had to to send in blank videotapes, and I I did this with several of them. I had copies of Marco Polo, um, Power of the Daleks, uh, The Myth Makers, and a few a few others um, on uh, VHS that they dubbed. They had different dub sites, what they were called. Um, people would volunteer to uh, to make these dubs um, from their own home and send them out that way, and. Uh, I thought about doing, you know, setting myself up as that at one point, but I'm like, I don't, I don't think I have time, you know, or the inclination really. <laughs> After a certain amount of time, I'd be like, nah, I don't really want to do this. <laughs> so, I, w I wouldn't have made it last very long. I need to get, get back home because I'm working from home today, and I'm just on my morning walk, and I need to get back so that I can, I can work. So I guess I won't even get to talking about the actual Marco Polo episodes until. Like later today, I'll, I'll record some more. But so and and loose cannon went for quite a while, and they, any resources they could, they could get all, get their hands on, they would to in order to you know reconstruct these episodes, and and it would be basically like watching a slideshow with the audio soundtrack going, 
And unfortunately, a lot of times they have to reuse the same um, images. Um, but with Marco Polo, they really went all out. Um, as far as I know, it was the only one that they actually um, colorized. They actually made a color, you know, all of the images are in color. And, and also, if there was any surviving footage, like, sometimes there would be... I don't know what's going on over there. Wow. Someone's happy. Got a package. Mail truck. Um, you heard it here first. And, uh, sometimes there'll be a, a brief, like, actual moving image. Like, you'll see a few seconds worth of a clip that they'll add in there whenever, you know, any footage existed. Which existed for various reasons. You know, again, like, a fan might have, um, put up a, uh, an old type, uh, you know, um, uh, movie camera or whatever to the screen, you know, all kinds of stuff, like all kinds of ways that these could be preserved. Um, and, uh, so the Marco Polo one in particular, they've taken, they took especially good care to make it into a pro professional looking production. Especially, and it, it, they actually got Mark Eden, who played, um, Marco Polo in this serial to uh, act as Marco Polo, like an older, the older version of Marco Polo. And uh, he's sitting there, you know, writing the, the journal that Marco Polo, you know, was keeping. And talking about how it's like uh, one of his strangest adventures of his long life was um, these four travelers <laughs> that showed up with the with a, a blue caravan, which was a TARDIS, and uh, his, his uh, encounters with them. And, um, so it just gives it an extra special um, kind of dazzle to it. I, guess. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It, it, it kind of gave it an extra touch to where it's, it's a joy to watch. Um, and uh, a lot of those are now have been put online. Um, they were not, for whatever reason, Loose Cannon was not able to um, dub them, you know, as, as DVDs, like burn DVDs of them. They were only allowed to do VHS copies. And so most or all of the Loose, the loose Cannon reconstructions have been put online. Like I found, there's a playlist on YouTube for Marco Polo specifically that I've been accessing because uh, I no longer have anything to play the, the VHS on. Um, and so, uh, but, uh, and the other thing that has happened is there's been animations made by the BBC, um, other animations and reconstructions by fans various fans and um, there are continually attempts to uh, recover lost episodes and there are still 97 missing um, half hour episodes of Doctor Who as of now um, there were a lot more missing ones 
like 150 some odd missing ones and that's uh, how many have been recovered um, in the years since uh, you know since the time of broadcast so we're, we're lucky to have what we have honestly <laughs> but uh, the BBC has done animations of a lot of the missing stories and released them as new DVD releases um, some of them are streaming on BritBox as well and uh, interestingly the first two seasons of Doctor Who are mostly intact I think there are nine missing episodes from the first season seven of which comprise Marco Polo and the other two are from Reign of Terror I believe yeah um, season two similar situation Seasons three through six, a lot, or season three through five, a lot is still missing, and then season six, um, you know, goes back to a kind of a better situation of more of them being intact. But Patrick Troughton era, era specifically took a huge hit, and uh, a lot of those were initially missing. Um, like the most recent find was they found all the missing episodes of The Enemy of the World, and was it all but one of uh, Web of Fear? I'd have to check that, but I've got those DVDs. Um, snapped them up when they came out. It seemed like they all came out in a very short time. Um, Enemy of the World, Web of Fear, and uh, The Ice Warriors, I think. So I've got those on DVD. Um, but, uh, so as I'm going through this um, review show, whenever we get to a missing story, like, I mean, I was sort of tempted to just skip them, but I'm like, no, I can't. I just can't. Um, I just can't. I, I, I want to be a completist here. Um, it's going to take a long time <laughs> to document the entire series. But right now, I'm committed to doing so. Um, you know, as, a, as one um, companion of Doctor Who in the 80s said, once it stops being fun, you know, yeah. But uh, right now, it's definitely fun. So, so we're going to talk about Marco Polo. I'll uh, get back to work, and uh, I'll probably talk about those first two episodes um, this afternoon, get the rest of the serial in the course of this week, and hopefully release this by the last day of August. That's my goal. So I'll have the first four stories um, reviewed, and I should be fine with getting the rest of season one of Doctor Who reviewed in September. And we'll see how it goes. We'll just uh, carry on like that. It's not a, you know, it's not a hard and fast schedule, but it's something I'm just trying to keep going, you know, little by little each day or almost each day. So I'll be back. I, Marco Polo, Venetian explorer and adventurer, have kept this journal for many, many years. Within these pages are maps and accounts of the many journeys that I undertook as a young man.
as I reflect on my life, I have accomplished so much. I've traveled to the four corners of Asia and have walked more miles than I care to mention. I have seen sights and wonders in my many years that no one could have dreamt of. The magic of the Buddhist monks, strange unearthly creatures, black stones that burn, to name but a few. Strangest of all was a time I encountered four travelers with their strange caravan. Yes, I remember now. Let me tell you of that, the strangest of all adventures. It all started 35 years ago in 1289 on the plain of Pamir. Yes, that's right. The plain of Pamir, the roof of the world. I wish there was an intro like that for every story, because <laughs> that was a really nice way to start talking about it without having to fill in a whole lot of details. But yeah, so the TARDIS lands on the, the roof of the world, um, which is the, the Himalayas, and uh, they're, they're finding that they're basically out of power. Um, the, the TARDIS is suddenly at no power, no heat, no nothing, basically, no central air. And, you know, no no cable TV or nothing. And um, so they're like, shit, what are we going to do now? We need fuel or something? I don't know. And uh, then, you know, th that's when Marco Polo's uh, caravan shows up. Um, you know, Tagana, the Mongol warlord. And, uh, you know, Marco Polo, Marco Polo the uh, explorer. Um, and... Uh, First, Tagana thinks that they're that the TARDIS crew are like sorcerers or something, and he's like, you know, let's kill them before they kill us, and you know, you know that that whole um, weird bit of logic. Um, and uh, Marco Polo is the one that stops him from doing so, and is it's like, no, 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 that's that's dumb. Uh, we're not gonna kill. We're not gonna kill them. Don't don't kill them for God's sake, you know, and. Um, but um, you know, and so of course they're they're very grateful to Marco, and and uh, Barbara is the one that identifies who Marco Polo is, which is interesting. You know, just from context clues of hearing him talk, and you know, figuring out she's like, oh, you're Marco Polo, and he's like, yes, 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 I am, and uh, so they they mention something. Somebody mentions something about. Um, the TARDIS being able to fly, like this, you know, this is your, your caravan. They call it, you know, he calls, Marco calls the TARDIS their caravan and finds out it can fly. And he's like, he doesn't question it. Um, he also doesn't think they're sorcerers. He's basically just like, wait a second. But he's immediately thinking of how he can um, take advantage of this. And uh, Marco's conclusion is that, uh, you know, he can, he can, take the TARDIS himself, um, take the caravan, um, to Kublai Khan to curry favor with, with the Khan and uh, be able to travel back to Venice, which, you know, the, there's not a whole lot that they can do at this point because if they, like, they can't take off 
Um, they can't just leave and go, no, screw you. Um, and uh, they, they have to, they're, they're basically, their hands are tied to go along with Marco because otherwise, you know, Tagana's gonna gonna kick their asses and kill them. <laughs> so, um, which, uh, you know, you know, Tagana immediately is a very imposing presence and, uh, you know, he's excellently played by Darren Nesbitt. I believe the actor's name is. Um, but yet, you, you know, Marco trusts him. Um, you know, the TARDIS crew's like, oh, okay, as long as you don't kill us, I guess we're okay. So they're going to travel along. You know, Marco's going to put the, the, the TARDIS slash caravan, um, you know, up on top of, of uh, their own caravan, basically. <laughs> and take him along with and uh there's there's some really great sequences where they show um like a a, a map like they show a map heading for the Gobi desert and you know the plains of Pamir and all that stuff and um you know while it's got a, a voiceover of uh you know of Marco um discussing their the route they're taking and how they they're they make 20 miles the first day with uh, the TARDIS crew, like 10 the next, and then five. Like, it's getting less and less each day as they're getting, you know, closer to the, the desert. And um, and uh, so Susan meets um, this young Chinese girl. Or it wasn't, at the time it wasn't China, it was Cathay. But um, meets this young Chinese girl named Ping Cho. And uh, they become really great friends. And it's, and it's really endearing throughout this serial to see um, how quickly Susan and Ping Cho become friends. They're, they're the same age. Of course, Susan's from another time, another world, um, which we don't know at the time. At this time, we don't know that it's Gallifrey and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but she's, you know, she says she's 15. And I, I, never, I never know if that's actually you know, literally 15 years or that's like their, their rough estimate of how old she would be in, uh, human years. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if the equivalent of her, um, maturity would be 15, of course she, she's a screamer. She screams all the time and she's kind of panicky and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, so sometimes you would think that she's younger than 15, but, uh, Anyway, but they they have this really great relationship, and um, Ping Cho talks about how she's supposed to to marry this uh, this man, you know, once they uh, get to, uh, to 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 Kublai Khan's court, and you know, um, the deal is that uh, the guy is seventy five years old, and it's an arranged marriage, and Susan is horrified by the very concept. I don't know if she's never heard of arranged marriage. You know, she may not have. I mean, I'm sure that, uh, you know, on Gallifrey, it was probably done differently. So many things are done differently on Gallifrey, um, depending on, you know, expanded media or who you believe or whatever. But, uh, you know, so Ping Cho's like, I've never, I've never met this guy. I'm just supposed to marry him. I don't know. Don't know what to tell you. I uh, guess we're gonna do this, um, you know. But she's she's acting as their basically as their servant, and they're they're transporting her to uh, you know 
onto Kublai Khan's court, and they, uh, so as they, they travel on, um, they, the, uh, hang on a second. Okay, I had to remind myself of something. <laughs> I had to look something up real quick. So, the the end of the first episode, where the the doctor realizes the situation that, you know, that, that Marco Polo plans to give the TARDIS away to Kublai Khan, which his, his logic, Marco's logic is, well, you could just build another one. <laughs> it's like, I just saved your lives. Um, you, you can be beholden to us and give us the, the caravan and I can give it to Kublai Khan and he can be all happy, happy, happy. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll, we're good. Right. <laughs> so the doctor's reaction once this sinks in is to laugh his ass off. <laughs> and it's so like, we haven't seen him act this way up until this point. Like he's barely even chuckled. Like we've barely even seen him do that signature Hartnell chuckle that he'll do so often, um, later in, uh, you know, in the series, <laughs> Um, in season two, that's practically like, like a, a, it's basically a verbal tick. Like every other sentence is like, <laughs> like he does that a lot in the second season, but at this point he hasn't really done, but he's, he's just laughs so hard because he sees the, the, the kind of the bitter irony of the situation, you know, cause they don't have the materials to build a new TARDIS. Um, in in uh, on Earth in 1289, I mean, you know, they they don't have that ability to to do so. Um, you know, they, they can't get the materials and blah 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 blah, etc. etc. And they can't just again, they just can't just take off because the ship is disabled, and the Doctor needs time to fix it. So he's laughing, and they're like, they're like, what are we gonna do? He's like, I have no idea. And so like we go to the second episode, and by that time. By the time of the second episode, he, he's he's no longer finding it that funny. Like he's like pretty much as cranky as we ever see him. Um, you know, in the in the brief moments that that because and mostly it's just you know the way they've described him though because William Hartnell barely appears in part two. Like he, uh, the Singing Sands is the name of the second episode. Um, Hartnell appears. Like, like about four minutes from the end of the episode is the first time you see him in the episode. And he has like one line, but everybody keeps talking about how, how he, you know, grandfather's sulking and, um, uh, Marco Polo even writes about it, you know? Um, and, uh, so most of what we see is the rest of the characters, you know, um, Tagata and, um, Marco and, uh, Ping Cho and then Ian, Barbara and Susan. And, um, you know, um, Susan and Barbara have a couple of co nice conversations here and there. And, uh, you know, uh, so, and then there's a, a huge, uh, sandstorm in the second episode. It was hence the singing sands. And, uh, let me, I had, oh, I had this queued up and then I took it off. But, uh, on, this is, this is another thing where it's, really great that we've got the soundtrack because the singing sands it, it sounds just completely otherworldly like uh 
Ian says it's like the, the devils of hell are laughing. Um, Marco says it's like almost like music, like cymbals and drums. Um, it's like you hear voices, you hear all kinds of, like the BBC Radiophonic Workshop must have had a field day putting this together, but it sounds like this. I don't know if that even does it justice hearing it all. I'm just playing it on my phone, <laughs> but, um, I mean it, I wish the visuals still existed. Like I wish the, the full video existed to see exactly what was going on. Cause the stills they show are just the various characters looking panicked and they do kind of a swirly effect, um, of the, you know, the desert, um, surrounding them. And, uh, but it, I, I gotta, I gotta think that it must have been pretty, uh, pretty off the hook, you know. Um, and the BBC had, had were great with like period dramas. Um, they always have been, um, you know, like stories set in the past and stuff like that. So Doctor Who very often benefited from that uh, in the early years, where they were able to use like old costumes and sets and props and all that stuff. And um, you know, they, they so. This must have been a sight to behold, and it sucks that we don't <laughs> we don't have the story. There's there continue to be rumors like, oh, they found Marco Polo. Nope, never mind. Nope, no, they didn't. You know, and uh, there are like the rumor mongers out there that keep uh, spreading these these rumors, and it's like, ah, you know. But um, so you know, it's this whole huge uh, sequence and. It's kind of amazing, and they, they, you know, everybody survives, everybody's fine, but uh, then Susan and Ping Cho decide to go for a walk. Actually, it's the walk before that. I think the walk was before it. I, I think I'm getting this confused in my head. Um, but Susan and Ping Cho go for a walk um, at night, and they come back, and like, except for the doctor, like, basically every adult that is in the story yells at them about, about, about just like leaving on their own and not having permission to go. And the, you know, and they're like, we like, Hey, what's, what's the big deal? We're just, we just went for a walk. We just went for a walk. And then, then they're, you know, the doctor has been resting. They allowed him to Marco allowed him to rest in the TARDIS, which was, that was nice of him. Um, but you know he he lets Susan go with him, um, but he makes Ian and Barbara stay behind. Think thinking that that would be incentive for them to not escape, <laughs> I guess. Um, which, uh, as, as we know from the previous story, even um, you know the Doctor was threatening to throw Ian and Barbara off the ship. So <laughs> I could almost have seen it. You know, if he had been feeling a little better, he'd be like, "No, nope, we're." We're out, and, and if he could get the TARDIS working again um, so soon, they would have been like, oh, we're out of here. <laughs> it's like, screw those school teachers. We're going to leave them, um, leave them behind. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then, so they're, they're, the, the, this, um, the caravan people, I don't know how else to say it. Um, they're, they're kind of short on water, but they're, they're trying to find somewhere to get some more water and, um, 
uh, we see Tagana with um, these canteens, like dumping them out and, you know, like on his own, like off to himself. He's like, here's water, Marco Polo. But he's still trusted because Tagana is the one that brought the girls back, um, you know, and, and saved their lives, apparently. And, uh, and actually, I think that's when the storm, I, like, I, like I said, I think I got that confused, but I think that's when the storm starts to kick up is right after they get back. So I forgot about that bit. Um, so you can kind of see why Marco would still trust Tagana because, you know, he thinks that Tagana's got, you know, got everybody's best interests at heart. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are some pretty solid clues being thrown out that he does not in fact have everybody's best interests at heart. So, but, uh, Okay, um, so we'll we'll go ahead and uh, and uh, stop there, and I'll pick it up after I watch some more. Okay, it's a couple days later by my timeline, and I've gotten through uh, episodes three through five of Marco Polo. Um, I think I have just enough time to uh, review them briefly here. Uh, before I have to get ready for work, um, I had to, well, I, I, um, going in later this morning, um, took a couple hours of, uh, of PTO and yeah, so just to chill because, uh, I got other stuff going on. So yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I need to remind myself that I don't need to summarize all aspects of the plot, um, when I'm doing these reviews, um, I, you know, I've given a, a good background, hopefully enough to, to kind of whet your appetite and um, get you intrigued as to what's going on um, in, this, in this really good story. Um, I'm always impressed by this one. Uh, there's a little bit of filler in the fourth episode, uh, a little kind of back and forth. It's like, yeah, this, uh, you know draws it out a little bit more than it needed to be, but um, that's a minor quibble for a story like this. Um, I like the, there's this uh, sequence um, early in the, the third episode. Now they're, you know, they're very short on water in the desert, of course, and as we've seen, Tagana has ditched the, uh, the water and pretends that it's, it's bandits that did it. Um, and, uh, you know, so the doctor has been in the TARDIS trying to fix the uh, broken circuit, and um, condensation appears on the walls, which I don't know if that's something that would that would hold up uh, in terms of you know how the, the show has uh, has depicted the TARDIS as being you know that that seems really weird <laughs> that there would be condensation forming on the walls, but um, you know the the Doctor and Susan um, get all the water that they can out of that, which leads to uh, being yelled at by Marco, who thinks that they're, you know, withholding water or whatever like that. Why isn't there a drinking fountain in the TARDIS? <laughs> they got a food machine. I mean, I mean, obviously they don't have any electricity right now, but still, you'd think there'd be a drinking fountain. There'd be some sort of provisions for such a thing happens but uh you know that's neither here nor there 
Um, I assume that the, the the designers of the TARDIS didn't expect for the ship to, to break down in the middle of uh, 13th century China, <laughs> you know, and have a whole the whole debacle with that. But anyway, so uh, so they 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 carry on, and of course this is part of the the you know the science lesson, um, you know, where the the whole brief was that. Uh, uh, Doctor Who was supposed to be educational for the kids. Like the kids need to learn things, so they they got to learn about condensation in this episode, and they also get to learn a little bit about Hashashin, which is uh, explained by Ian to be the uh, you know the uh, another word for assassin. That's where assassin the assassin comes from, and there's a whole there's a lovely scene where Ping Cho. Uh, tells the whole story about uh, the Hashashins. Hashashins? I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right. Um, where you know everybody's everybody's gathered around. There's a there's a little crowd, and um, you know like all of our all of our characters are are there, and um, you know and the doctor uh, has Susan kind of uh, cradled up in his arms. Not not cradled, but like cuddled in his arms a little. You know, he has arms around her, and they're just. Sitting there, and you know, it's a it's a very nice little um, grandfather granddaughter moment, um, you know, and they're they're listening to Ping Cho's story, which she tells very elegantly. Barbara decides to follow Tagana to figure out what he's up to, and that's really not a good idea because then you know his his thugs uh, end up you know capturing her and tying her up and all this kind of thing, and. Um, in the in the cave, uh, which you know, it's another ominous cave for for Doctor Who. We had that in the first serial, <laughs> you know. Um, but there's this this image thing of this troll looking thing. Looks like looks like the troll from uh, that Community episode with all the timelines. And uh, you know, you see Susan freaking out about it. Which I, to be fair, I'd be freaking about uh, freaking out about that image too. Um, to be honest, I. I can't hold that against her um, by any means, you know, uh, it's just a freaky, and we barely see what's going on because, again, this being a reconstruction, uh, we don't get all the, the live action and such. At this point, just about everyone is suspicious of Tagana except for Marco Polo. Like, Marco keeps doubling down on, you know, Tagana being... Um, you know, having his best interests at heart instead of being just this big bad warlord who's, you know, out to kill everybody and um, take the the caravan. You know, everybody wants the TARDIS. You know, everybody wants the caravan because they they know in some way it's going to um, get them something. You know, and uh, but Marco keeps just saying, no, no, I'm not listening to this. I'm not listening to this about Tagana. You know, um, you all suck. <laughs> how he's acting you know he separates susan and ping cho um he takes the tardis keys away and he's you know just um just generally being a douche but you know in his own perspective he has the right to do so um but uh, uh you know obviously this i mean it's something that it it adds an obstacle to the story where you know again otherwise the doctor and uh his companions could just leave anytime that they, anytime they wanted. Um, but nope, they got to deal with they got to deal with Marco. They got to deal with uh, 
you know, and he's good at being a pro protagonist and kind of a, a antagonist at the same time, just by being the obstacle to them being able to leave. And we get a scene where there's the the dead guard, and I love that um, the doctor immediately asks Ian if he killed him. <laughs> just like, like that's something that you would, yeah, you would kill a you would kill that guard, wouldn't you? Um, you know, and and they're saying that there's, you know, there might be bandits, and Tigana's like, there are no bandits, and it turns out that there are, in fact, bandits. Um, they have a battle scene, which we, again, are really not privy to because of the, the whole recon, and we don't have the original video of it, but all we get is a couple of brief flashes of, like, somebody's back, or, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, and... Um, you know, they they ended up they end up. Uh, what happens here? Ian employs a, a trick involving bamboo expanding and um, making you know loud bang bang noises, and it scares the 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 bandits off. So that that was actually uh, pretty ingenious, and that's yet yet another um, educational moment you know, about the the whole bamboo expanding thing and everything. Um, so so Marco kind of relents a little bit um you know he let he tells the travelers they can come and go as they please and you know he will not give them back the keys though he lets susan and ping cho talk again but he will not give them back the keys ping cho knows where um the duplicate key is but he says you know he tells her not to tell anybody so we get this nice little scene with uh susan and ping cho where they're uh they're watching a bunch of, of uh, big old goldfish, and uh, they're comparing the goldfish movements to uh, different people that they know, like like Tagana and Marco and um, Barbara and all that. And then, um, you know, and then Ping Cho gets upset because she starts thinking about, you know, the the future awaiting her when you know she's when they. Uh, get to Kublai Khan's palace and she ends up having to marry that uh, freaking old dude. And Ping Cho, even though she doesn't quite understand why, knows that, uh, you know, being able to get back into the TARDIS is um, Susan's way of being able to get back home. Because she's saying, why can't you just wait? And then, you know, because Marco is offered to take um, the travelers home, you know, once he's gotten to Kubacan and given, you know, given the, the, the blue caravan away to, you know, um, to gain passage back to Venice. Like that's, that's Marco's plan. And that again is part of why, you know, uh, it kind of seems to make sense of where Marco's coming from, even though he doesn't understand that Susan, Susan's home is much, much further away, um, than anywhere that he could get her to. Um, so Ping Cho ends up just giving Susan the key. Like she, uh, technicality, which, you know, was um, a very clever move on her part. Um, she, she's, uh, you know, she didn't, she didn't tell anyone where the key was. She just gave the key. And she's like, I'm st I still haven't told you where the key was. <laughs> so, um, you know, so they, they're like, okay, we're home free, blah, 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 you know. And there's a scene with this uh, kind of annoying character named Wang Lo. <laughs> See, I can't even believe that they did this, like, you know, like it just seems like that was 
a, a joke on purpose because this is kind of a flamboyant character and he's still talking like this and he's kind of fawning and yet and then he uh, the doctor's asking you know where's my caravan and he's like well we uh, we put it in the stable it's like the stable <laughs> Wanglo walks off and the doctor does this really good impression of him a really funny impression. Oh, I put it in the stable. <laughs> I was like, what do you think it is? A potting shed? <laughs> so it, it's Hartnell plays irritation um, like nobody else. Like he's he's so good at it. He's so good at it. Probably, he was probably irritated in real life most of the time, but I digress. And the doctor, Ian and Barbara are in the TARDIS and they're ready to go. And Susan decides to go say goodbye to Ping Cho, and uh, that is a mistake because, well, you know she gets she gets captured by uh, Tagana, and uh, she's not able to. You know, it looks like she's not going to be able to go along with uh, the TARDIS crew um, back to uh, to space and time wherever they're they're going to go. So, you know, that's a further obstacle where the Doctor and company are not going to be able to get away quite when they need to go and they're gonna have to go see Kublai Khan all right I got and I gotta go to work okay busy week <laughs> um, in my in my regular real life um, TM trademark um, I am currently running sound for uh, the play rumors at my local community theater so that's you know, and this was Tech Week, and we were into performances now, so the um, I haven't had as much time to devote to um, other spare time things like this show um, as I wanted to. But uh, it is now um, Saturday, uh, September 2nd, and I think I'll be able to release this episode today. Uh, I finished Marco Polo um, last night and this morning. Um, Marco Polo, Marco Polo. That's really just a lot of fun. <laughs> and um, so I guess, I guess I, I don't know if I have a lot to say about the, the last two episodes, but I do have a few things. Um, that part six, I, I found my interest kind of waning a little bit. Um, but just as that started to happen, um, they got to uh, Kublai Khan's palace, and then, you know, things like kind of just take off again. Um, <laughs> as I love the uh, the friendship. Uh, maybe friendship's too strong a word, but the camaraderie that develops between the Doctor and uh, Kublai Khan. Uh, when they when they meet, um, you know everybody's kowtowing, everybody's doing the the deep bow and the whole thing, and the doctor, you know, refuses, but he because he can't do it because, you know, he's like, you know, he can't get down on the floor like he's supposed to and um, like that, and they're you know like, but you're you're you have to, you're supposed to, and he's like, I can't, you know, he's supposed to to kneel and touch his forehead to the floor. I mean, that would even be uncomfortable to me, and I'm only 48, which isn't that much younger than William Hartnell was. <laughs> he was like 55. I just, I'm, I'm kind of, my mind is kind of boggled when I, whenever I realize that when I'm watching these shots. Like he was only seven years older than I am now. It's ridiculous, you know. But then, you know, people tended to look older back then, and you know, he, he tended to, you know, play 
older than he was. I mean, not just the fact that he was playing um, a Time Lord who was much older than, um, you know, a human being's natural lifespan, but we didn't know that at the at the time, or they didn't know that at the time. Um, you know, that hadn't been established yet in uh, 1964 um, that, that uh, you know, Time Lords have a very long lifespan and, you know, indeed have multiple lives and they re regenerate and all that kind of thing. But anyway, so it's just funny to see, you know, the doctors just like refusing. And then like Kublai Khan, um, you know, relates to that and he's like, okay, that's fine. You know, he's like, come here, bro. Let's sit down. <laughs> Let's just commiserate about old age. <laughs> and, you know, so it's, it's, and they, they, I would love to have seen another like three or four episodes just of their friendship, <laughs> you know, like, like being a, like a grumpy old men, um, kind of a, a, a thing going and they're just like kind of sitting back and all the young people are doing this and doing that. And, you know, the doctor's like, don't you hate it when two school teachers like barge in and like take over your home and like mess with your shit, <laughs> you know? And, but so it's, it's fun to see that aspect of it. And then later on, you know, in part seven, they, they're playing a, a, a lively game of backgammon. Um, this was like, you know, I, this is another where I wish I could see the, the visuals of this and see like Kublai Khan's facial expressions and you know, all this kind of stuff besides just, uh, still images. But, um, you know, even so it's still, it's still kind of fun. And, uh, Kublai Khan mentions his grandfather Genghis and asks the doctor if he knew him and the doctor's like, nah, I, you know, I've heard about him, but I've never met him. But apparently, by the time the ninth doctor comes along, um, the doctor has encountered Genghis Khan in some form because he has a line in, um, in the episode, uh, Rose, where he's like the assembled hordes of Genghis Khan couldn't get into the TARDIS and believe me, they've tried. So at some point, Genghis Khan, um, you know, if they didn't directly meet, at least, uh, there was some sort of an adventure involving Genghis Khan. So, so, but they play, they play backgammon and, um, they're, they, it's a high stakes game, you know, this is a high stakes backgammon game, um, which I don't even know the rules of, I don't know anything about backgammon. So, but, um, you know, I mean, they're, they're playing for like elephants and stallions and God knows what else, like different kinds of animals and stuff. And then, you know, what the doctor's got you know, he can put up his, his caravan, which is his TARDIS. And, uh, then, uh, you know, and he's winning, he's winning. And then he loses it all. He's like, you know, he, he's losing like, and he's like, he's like, I'm not going to hold you to this. And Kublai Khan's no, 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 no. This is a real game. This is, we're doing this, we're doing this for keeps, you know, uh, don't you worry. It's fine. You know, like I'm fucking Kublai Khan over here, you know, but so then the doctor loses his caravan and, uh, you know, he does, his, his reaction again is to, to do that chuckle laugh thing, you know, because he's, he's laughing at the, the irony. Um, I kind of wonder if at this point, part of it is just, he's laughing that, 
you know, he figures he can still get out of this somehow now that the TARDIS is operational again. And, uh, you know, the only thing keeping them there is being able to get all four travelers into it at the right moment and being able to take off, you know. Um, so that might be a little bit of what's, what's coming into play here. Um, might be just a, a, a little bit. Ian has a moment of, of desperation where he's, he's trying to convince Marco, you know, and say how important it is that they have the caravan um, before the back, the backgammon game. Um, you know, how important it is to them because, you know, they're like, we're from England and, and <laughs> Marco's like, well, I can get you to England. It's like, yeah, but no, no, you don't get it. And he, Ian directly tells Marco that they are time travelers. And that they've they've come from the future, um, they're from another time and uh, another place, and and I'm not even sure. It seems like Marco, you know, probably hasn't even thought of that concept like that. You know, it's not like with with most of the people that the Doctor encounters um, from from Earth would be from a time when at, at least. You know, science fiction would would exist, and they might have heard the concept. You know, like H.G. Wells and um, the whole thing. But uh, this seems like a, a a new idea to Marco Polo entirely. This idea that that it's you know you could travel to the past or to the future, and um, Ian's like, so you don't believe me? Like, well, no shit. And Marco's like, if I did believe you, I would definitely give you back the caravan like you know so he's got he's got a sense of decency but it's just too far out of his uh realm of thought to to give it any consideration another thing about episode six um it seems like the sound is softer than it's been so far in the rest of the the uh the reconstruction I don't know if the the audio that was recorded, you know, is just worse. That you know, maybe maybe the 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 home taper was uh, just you know didn't get as good a quality of footage that week, or I don't know exactly what it is, but it seems like there's something there. So I don't know. And Marco finally finally realizes that Tagana might not be acting. You know, under the best interests of of Kublai Khan, <laughs> you know, it's a good tip off when you know he sees Tagana trying to kill Kublai Khan. That that's a pretty good tip off. That there's oh wait a second, hang on there, hang on. I probably should have figured this out. I'm so sorry, you guys. I probably should have figured this out before, but um, you know, <laughs> so. But he just he just doesn't, you know. Like he spends like almost six episodes, um, you know, extolling the virtues of Tagana that don't exist, you know. <laughs> and you know, Tagana's working for the 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 Mongols and for this Nagai or whatever Nogai <laughs> person and all that. And he's like stalling for time and it's just all this. But then, you know, then we get. Basically, in that last part, the companions don't really have a lot to do anymore. Like, their their role is done. And by the end of it, even the Doctor is superfluous, you know? Because um, it's down to a fight between 
um, Marco Polo and Tagana, um, which must have been fun to see. Um, this whole sword fight thing, and then um, you know it ends up to where Kublai Khan orders Tagana to be killed, and then um, Tagana, you know, is like, "Nope, screw you guys, I'm doing it myself." So he like he like commits suicide on himself um, so that they can't have the satisfaction of killing him, which is, it's a very fitting and very in character for Tagana, you know, like he, he's he bloodthirsty, but also very stubborn. And uh, it just, it just kind of goes, goes along with it. And then we've got uh, Ping Cho, which, you know, everybody's saying, well, well I guess everybody, you know, everybody's going to be all right, except for Ping Cho. And she's got to marry this uh, 75 year old man, and, uh, you know, but then we find out <laughs> and there's like, you know, people in the palace are crying and then they're like, uh, uh, we have bad news, Ping Cho. Um, yeah, your, your beloved, um, you know, husband to be, um, was given poison as like, like Quicksilver and, um, and he, he has expired and, Ping Cho's like, ah, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, why aren't you grieving? She's like, how can I grieve for someone that I didn't actually meet or love? I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, Kublai Khan's very gracious toward her and offers to, to allow her, like, either, you know, he'll take her, he'll have her returned to Samarkand or she can stay in the palace for a while. And, you know, she decides to stay at the palace for however long she ends up staying. So, you know, and that seems to be what she wants to do. So um, things turn out well for her. There's a very, there's a very quick um, farewell scene, um, you know, where she says, she says goodbye to Susan. And we don't, you know, of course we don't get to see, but like a still photo of that and like that. But, uh, you know, and then finally our travelers get to leave and, um, you know, we've got a really nice moment. I mean, that ending is, it feels kind of rushed. For a seven-parter, that ending just feels rushed. But um, there's a nice closer where Marco, we get a, a narration um, from Marco Polo as we see, you know, the four, the four travelers um, in the TARDIS. And this narration is where Marco is saying, he's like, I wonder where... Um, the strange travelers are now, if they're in the past or in the future. So, like, he's finally accepted that they, you know, or, you know, he's, at least he's entertaining the idea that um, that they are actually what they say they are, that they're actually time travelers. And, you know, and, you know, he saw the TARDIS dematerialize, so, you know, it's like, it's a, it is a flying caravan. And <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, in the end, um, I gotta say that Marco Polo is my favorite of the four stories um, that I've re reviewed so far. Hey, Milo. Milo agrees. And um, that puts me uh, basically halfway through the first season, um, given that there are eight stories and I've uh, gone through four of them. Um, there are more episodes coming up, though. Uh, it's like the the three of the four stories remaining in the season 
are six episodes each, and then there's a four-parter. So, you know, we've got we've got some, uh, you know, some sort of longish stories coming up here, but uh, you know, everything else in the you know in the in the season exists in full uh, full footage, full visuals, and everything. So we've got that. So it'll be a little while before we have to do another uh, reconstruction and. You know that that's probably taking away from the experience a little bit because there must have been some visuals that uh, you know, like I said, like facial expressions and seeing that sandstorm and seeing you know uh, certain other scenes. There must have been um, some draws to the story that we're just we've lost by not having um, the full video footage, and it's and it's a shame. It's uh, it's unfortunate. It's it's hard to review a story that doesn't technically actually exist <laughs> but um you know and, and and you know there there are a few there were a few times in the story where i was like mm, okay i'm starting to get you know get a little bit bored but then like that always seemed to be right when um another uh really interesting scene would happen you know like the sandstorm or like uh you know um like um, the, the whole arrival at Kublai Khan's palace or, you know, various things like that. And, um, Tagana's a great villain. Uh, Marco Polo is a great, um, supporting, I don't know if you want to say support. He's a title character. I mean, you know, he's a, he's a title character, so he's a very important character to it. Um, in a way he's the protagonist because we actually get his narrate narration in a few, uh, parts of the story um so you know ping cho and uh kublai khan um are well-played characters this was they actually had an actual actress of asian descent to play ping cho um you know some of the other ones are are, are playing a different nationality so there's a little bit of that going on but my stance on that is if if the actor is not playing it as a negative stereotype, I'm not going to get too worked up about it. Um, which usually that that's the case in Doctor Who. Like they're they're not actually playing you know a negative stereotype so much. It's just that the there was a Caucasian actor cast to play you know some of a someone of a different ethnicity, and that's. I mean, what can you do 60 years later? But I mean, there there are certain times in the in the early years of the series certainly where uh <laughs> we'll get to you know some questionable moments, but uh you know, for now, but, but yeah, but uh Marco Polo is the first pure historical and one of the best. I I think there's at least one that I will probably rate higher, but uh it's you know it's a great story and um as it turns out i don't know if i mentioned it on on here earlier in the episode but um the they they took a great number of photographs of this specific story which is why they're in color you know they took color photographs um you know they they um documented this story in every way they could uh, you know, um, it's it's just interesting that it's one where there is 
not a single second of actual footage, moving footage, still exists, but they've got a lot of stills. <laughs> you know, they've got a lot of, of stills. And um, Loose Cannon and their reconstructions will, um, you know, do little tricks like they'll they'll um, zoom in a little bit on the doctor's face or you know some other character's face as a good to make you kind of feel like you're watching um, a moving scene um, I've never completely gotten used to the the reconstruction thing and that also brings up a point that uh, you know there there's an impulse to want the BBC to do uh, or commission an anim animation of this. And this is a story where I don't know how effective it would be because in inevitably they would have to do some, some guesswork, um, for any animation. Um, this one in particular, I don't know. I mean, there, there were a lot of lavish sets and costume and stuff. And, it, you know, we're never going to really know how good of a, a depiction it it would be and it's just so it's just too much fun to see the the actual stills from the episode and see the um Ian Barber and Susan end up kind of going native and getting um you know full like period costumes and the doctor just stays in his <laughs> in his clothes in his regular um Edwardian era um costume that that he always wore or almost always wore um and <laughs> So that, that's, that's, you know, so I don't know, I don't know how well an animation would, would go, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine it, but of course I would like there to be one so I can make up my mind for myself, <laughs> you know, in seeing it, but they have animated a lot of the, the, uh, Hartnell and, and Troughton era stories. And I've seen some of the animations, and uh, I, there are other ones I have not seen, and there, you know, it's a situation where it works better sometimes than others. Um, you know, there, there are also on YouTube there are some uh, animations and reconstructions that fans have put together. Um, you know, where some of the some of them are basically like watching Sims. <laughs> you know. Um, you know, so it gives you an idea of like the plot, but it's not as great in terms of like um, character moments or, or that kind of thing. So, you know, your mileage may vary. Whatever it's, you know, um, and there, are, you know, if you if you, I mean, if you don't want to go with that, you can do like just listening to the audio or um, even just the scripts are online. Um, you know, fans have put the actual uh, transcripts of the episode of this, you know, the episodes online so that you can read them and, uh, you know, get an idea of, uh, you know, I mean, you don't get any, even, even like the line delivery or that kind of thing, but you've got, there's something, you know, so anyway, um, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for Marco Polo. I am giving it a rating of a 9 out of 10. Um, I can't quite go up to the 10 um, because, you know, there were there were kind of a few lull moments and, uh, you know, like that kind of thing, but uh, it's damn close. So, um, yeah, so Marco Polo gets um, a good, solid 9 out of 10 rating. 
Uh, next time we'll be doing The Keys of Marinus, which is uh, Terry Nation's second script and uh, one of only two that he wrote that did not feature the Daleks. So um, it's kind of a it's a quest story and it's got uh, various uh, various um, locations and you know um, different kinds of situations going on. So. And uh, my pizza is ready now <laughs> in the oven or should be very close to it. So I'll go ahead and wrap this one up. And uh, so I'll just say thanks for listening. Um, go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I'm not mistaken in mine. <laughs>